It is so good to be back with you. It was great to get away, but it is great to come back and be home in the Quad Cities with my Heritage Church family. I've actually been back for a few weeks with my leadership hat on, working behind the scenes, and I'm thrilled to put my teaching hat on and step into this opportunity to wrap up the conclusion of our Chain Reaction series. And I can say fully and entirely that, again, no worship pastors were harmed in the making of any of those films. It is now over and done, and they all survived. Hey, I want to welcome all of you. Give a shout out to the Bettendorf and QC West campuses and those of you joining us online. This is week 10 of our Chain Reaction series. And for the last nine weeks, we have walked through the book of Colossians. And over the last five weeks, we've heard from five different members of the ministry team. And I got to say, those guys did a great job, and I'm proud of how they served the family during that time. What's cool about it is they each did it in their own unique way. And the most effective communicators are people who teach out of their natural wiring, not trying to imitate somebody else, but just being themselves and teaching out of their own journey. And what I loved most about the last five weeks was watching each of those guys and their unique personalities and gifts lead us on a journey into Scripture. And if you've missed any of it, you can find it at heritageqc.com under the media tab. But I got to say, I absolutely love working with the ministry team here at Heritage Church. They're a great group of people. And it's a good thing that it's fun and enjoyable because at the heart of the Great Commission, at the core of the Great Commission, is multiplying leaders, developing leaders, investing in others. The, to make disciples, those disciples who make disciples, means we're multiplying and raising up other individuals. It's not only something we get to do, it, it's something we must do. We must be investing in others. It takes work, and there's risk in it, but the moment that we stop making room for others to learn and develop and grow in a safe environment is the moment we stop living and leading like Jesus. You see, if we love Jesus, we will risk and invest in others. We'll invest in others so that they become more, that they get better. It's the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower, and we have the privilege of doing that for future generations to the point that we can actually see the words of the psalmist fulfilled. In Psalm 102, he says that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. When we invest in others, that a people yet to come in future generations may be able to praise the Lord. That is a beautiful image of the reality and the responsibility we have to be investing in others. I want you to think about it this way with me. When we uh, find markers, 
we talk as a church in terms of, of living loved. Uh, the Lord said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We love because God first loved us. And we also talk in terms of living linked. Lord says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're to be in relationships with one another. As you and I live loved, and we live linked, that ultimately is expressed in living sent. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The Great Commission starts with, therefore, go. These three things really kind of form up and shape who we are. This is who we are. Out of that reality as a church, that's who we are, there are three things that, that we do. We seek to multiply disciples. We seek to multiply leaders. And we multiply churches. Disciples, leaders, and churches. This is what we are. This is who we are. This is what we do. It's really just that simple. God calls us to be a people who live love, linked, and sent, and then he sends us out to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. That's one reason why we as a church family invest in hosting the Global Leadership Summit. The Global Leadership Summit is a two-day conference that is actually being held this Thursday and Friday right here at the Rock Island campus. And I really encourage you to consider being part of that. It's not too late to register. You can go to the church website, click on the Global Leadership Summit banner, and you can sign up there. In fact, what you'll need is a password to make sure you get into the Heritage Group and in the Heritage Rates, and that password is LEAD14HS, L-E-A-D-14HS. When, when leaders get better, everybody wins. And if you're someone who has any influence over anybody, this conference is an opportunity for you to get better and therefore the people around you to win as a result of you becoming a better leader. So I really encourage you to consider making time and being part of that conference this Thursday and Friday. So back into Colossians. As I mentioned, this is the final week of our chain reaction series. Uh, and it's, it's one in which we've had the opportunity to really see the chain reaction possibilities that can take place in our life as we've looked at what Paul wrote to the church in Colossians. And today is the close of that journey. And I'm a little bit sad because I think it's been a great journey that God has used across our church family. But before we wrap up the journey, I want to take a moment to just review some of it because I have seen God do some cool things out of some of the truths that he has illuminated for us from his word. So if you have your sermon notes guide, there's a foundational statement that kind of ran through the entire letter, and that statement sets us up to, to begin this review and to wrap up our journey together. The statement is simply this, that our life can be radically different because of Jesus. Our life can be radically different because of Jesus. Life can be different because of who? Because of Jesus. See, what this means is that no matter what you and I face, when we follow Jesus, we can live a life worthy of the relationship, the empowerment, the purpose that we find when we walk with God. Our life can be different when we depend on Jesus, when we trust him. Because God not only wants to save us, not only wants to forgive our sins, to wash us clean and make us pure, he wants to transform us. He wants to make us more. In fact, we have seen through this entire letter an underlying principle that no matter what struggles or issues or obstacles you and I may have, Jesus is all-sufficient. He is able. He is enough. It is Jesus and nothing else 
that allows us to be all that God created us to be. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus plus us proving something. It is us sitting and abiding and resting in a relationship with Him that positions us to be all that He created us to be and then to do the things He created us to do. It is Jesus, not Jesus plus. And that, my friends, is life-changing truth in and of itself. But there are a few other truths that we saw along the journey that I have seen ripple into our family and really bring some some life-changing realities across our network that we call Heritage Church. So I want to revisit those, and the first one of those I want to point to is the reality that being leads to doing. Being leads to doing. That means that who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. So our being leads to what? Doing. Who we are determines what we do. So think about it this way. When we step into relationship with God through Jesus, Jesus rescues us from the junk in our life, our sins, our mistakes, our failures. He positions us to be a new creature in Him, one that is, that is healed, reconciled, restored, empowered, purified with purpose. We get to become, we get to be who He made us to be in Him. That's the reality of what it means to be in Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. That being leads to our doing. So as we have a love relationship with Him, we, we become who we're supposed to be, then out of that, all we want to do is obey. Out of that love relationship flows the desire to do what He wants us to do. And it is a beautiful place where His power is at work in us, allowing us to accomplish amazing things for Him. The challenge is that we sometimes, or a lot of times, go backwards. And we say, I need to do certain things in obedience so that I can become what He wants me to be. And that's simply not true. It's not only backwards, it doesn't work that way. We do not have what it takes to get from doing to becoming. Only Jesus can transform and allow us to be who He wants us to be so we can do what He's created us to do. Being leads to what? Doing. That's the first reality. Second one I want to look at is the reality that what we depend on determines what's possible. What we depend on determines what's possible. In another letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote this, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. The reality is what Jesus offers us in relationship to him, in relationship to God, is something that he does, not that we do. It allows the being to be go- lead to our doing, but it d- means that we must depend on him and not something else. Our doing, trying to have doing lead to being, does not work. Depending on something else to get to being does not work. After the first, uh, one of the first chain reaction sermons, I, I met with one of our heritage family, and they came up, they're all excited, because in that day, they finally had this aha moment of why their relationship with God was this close but not quite thing. Close but not quite. Try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And the reality was, they started to realize, even though they believed in God, even though they'd given their life to Jesus, they held back some things, and they were trying to make their doing lead to some form of being. And they realized they could never get to all that God wanted of them as they continued to try to do lead to be. And they were depending on themselves instead of depending on the Lord. I have heard story after story after story through this series of people who are just simply being more intentional in depending on God, in pursuing Jesus, 
in trying to just seek him with all that they are, to know him more and to experience him at new levels. And so by confessing issues of struggle, confessing sins, laying addictions at the feet of Jesus, they're finding greater and greater freedom. They're finding hope and healing. And I absolutely love it. Because who we depend on determines what's possible. You could even think of that in this way, that when we are trying to do in order to become, we are focusing our energy and effort and relying on us to make that happen. As opposed to when we are sitting in a relationship with Jesus and allowing him to define who we are and determine what we're doing, the focus is on him. And it's his power, it's his strength, it's his wisdom, it's his ability working in and through us as opposed to us trying to come backwards the other way. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible. Who we depend on determines what's possible. That takes us on into a next reality. The true faith is based in trust, not circumstances. True faith is based in trust, not circumstances. Look, the deeper we go in being in Jesus, the more we settle into relationship with him, the less circumstances define us. I know of several couples who were and are facing significant issues in their marriage and family because of sin and mistakes in that journey. But now they're finding hope and healing as they rest and abide in Jesus, and they let him define them not the circumstances of this life. They're experiencing Jesus as rescuer. The same goes for a number of people who are finding freedom, true freedom from addiction, as they allow the chain reaction of Jesus at work in their life to set them free. And pornography is one of the biggest areas of struggle for both men and women, but we're finding and seeing this freedom run through the people of our church family, and God is being glorified as people settle into relationship with him, as they trust in, by faith in him and not let circumstances pull them into other realities, but just that Jesus and Jesus alone is enough because he is rescuer. And that reality of rescuer leads us to the fourth thing that I just want to, to revisit as a, as a review of our journey. And it's the truth that Jesus never intended to simply be a sympathizer. He can sympathize, He can even empathize, but he came to rescue. He doesn't just come alongside to extend sympathy to us, to say, hey, I'm sorry that's happening. I feel bad for you. Buck up. Hang in there. He came to rescue. He came to redeem and to restore and to reconcile. He rescues, and only he can. It is Jesus as rescuer. He never intended just to simply come alongside and, and, and give us some kind of sympathy for the difficulties of this world. He came to rescue us out of them and to empower us to live to our full God-given potential and design from the beginning. That's one reason why our, our being needs to lead to doing. You see, how we approach him determines whether we will truly live in freedom and reach our God-given potential or not. One of the dangers of trying to let our doing lead to being is that we can end up living in behavior modification instead of divine transformation. 
We live in behavior modification instead of divine transformation. That's where you and I, by sheer willpower, self-discipline, self-control, we get in there and say, I'm not going to do what I'm not supposed to do, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And listen, my friends, we can do that for a period of time. God has made us as human beings in His image, and we have great capacities, and our willpower and our self-discipline can get us to a certain point. But if we are trying to let our doing lead to being, and we're resting on willpower and self-control, it is just a matter of time before we find ourselves back in failure, before we find ourselves not being who we're supposed to be. Because who we depend on determines what's possible. And we can find a, a cycle of success and failure where we have momentary victory that's just overshadowed by ongoing defeat. But when we let our being lead to doing, then listen, circumstances don't define us. Jesus does. And then he positions us for incredible impact in this life for his glory. That's the beauty of the chain reaction of what our Savior does. Just consider a couple of verses from last week. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Wow. Those words require something I don't have apart from him. I don't know about you, but I can't do that without him. In order for this to be a reality in my life, to, to walk in wisdom, to make the best use of, of time, to know how to respond to every person and to be gracious, I need to be in him so that I do those things through him by his power. That's being leading to doing. And with that in mind, I want to step into the last section of Colossians and read down through verse 7 into verse 18 of chapter 4. It's a little longer section, and you can follow along in your sermon notes guide, or you can use your printed Bible, your device, and it'll also be up on the screen. So track down with me as I read down through the last section of Colossians. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you a servant, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in, in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha, and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my trains. Grace be with you. And with that, so ends the book of Colossians. What do we do with that? 
What can we learn from a litany of names? We, we may be tempted to treat it like an index in the back of the book. Who has ever entirely read an index in the back of a book? <laughs> yeah, no, none of us. I mean, at best, we look at that stuff and we're like, okay, it's irrelevant, maybe even useless, or it only has purpose when I have a question that I need to find something in it. And we can be tempted to say, like, I'm just going to skim through that section or I'm going to skip it all together. And we can be tempted to do that here. But the reality is there are significant things tucked into this list of both familiar and unfamiliar names. If you remember when we started this journey into Colossians, I shared with you a kind of a three-step process to moving from reading Scripture to studying Scripture. It, it was uh, summarized with three words that were answering three questions. The questions were, what does it say? What does it mean? And what do we, how do we live as a result? Do you remember those three words? Okay, so the first one starts with an O. It was what? Observe. Second started with an I. Interpret. Third one started with an A. Apply. Observe, interpret, and apply. Look, I really encourage you to take that tool or other similar tools in with your study of Scripture, to go from reading to studying. As you get back into God's Word on your own, as you're moving into other sections, observe, interpret, and apply to really dig deeper into God's Word to know what He's trying to say. And for today, uh, I want to do observation, the observe part, in a fun way. So if you got a pen or you got something to mark, I want you to go down through. I want you to circle, highlight, underline, mark every name you see in these 12 verses we just read. Kind of like a speed drill. First one done, wins. Ready, set, go. All right, how many did you get? Well, it all depends on how you count them, right? Did you count God, Christ Jesus? What did you do with the Jesus justice thing? Let's just say there's roughly 12, all right? Roughly 12 names. Do you recognize them? Do you know who they are? Uh-uh, probably not. See, most of us read through these names like, who are these people and why is it in there? What relevance does it have for what we're trying to do? Look, we can be tempted to say, there's nothing really to learn here. But honestly, there's a lot to learn. Just consider this. Wherever Paul went, wherever he went, he was committed to raising up others. Every place he went, he invested in others in a way that he empowered them because he understood it was essential to living and leading like Jesus and also necessary to accomplishing the mission of God. Paul gave himself fully to the task of multiplying disciples and leaders and churches because he understood, he knew the value, he knew the importance, and that's why we see these names at the end of Colossians. In fact, let's take a moment and just run down through these names to get a handle or an idea of the ripple that came through Paul, through these people, that ultimately landed in future generations, including ours. So let's take a look. First name, Tychicus. Paul calls him a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. He regularly traveled with Paul, 
Uh, Paul sent him to Ephesus twice on behalf of, of Paul. He, um, he actually sent Tychicus with this letter to the church in Colossae. He carried this letter. Tychicus was a personal representative of Paul. Tychicus traveled with the next name, the guy Onesimus. Onesimus was from Colossae. But the deal was, he was a slave who ran away from his master. His master's name was Philemon. Philemon was an elder in the church of Colossae. And Paul, in an attempt to reconcile that relationship, because Onesimus had found relationship with Jesus in his connection with Paul, he was now living, letting his being lead to doing. Paul writes a letter that we now know as the book of Philemon to help Onesimus and Philemon to reconcile in this new season of relationship with Jesus. After Onesimus, we see Aristarchus. He was a Jew from Greece, actually specifically Thessalonica. And he traveled with Paul on his third missionary journey. He also traveled with Tychicus uh, and Paul in Greece. And he was a long-standing companion of Paul, so much so that he traveled with Paul to Rome. Next name I see in here that I love is in here is Mark. Mark is also known as John Mark. And he was the source of some trouble between Paul and Barnabas. See, Paul and Barnabas took Mark on the first missionary journey. Halfway through, in the middle part of it, Mark left. That really hurt Paul, upset Paul. Barnabas was related to Mark. When Paul said, I'm not going to take Mark on the next journey, Barnabas and Paul split ways, split, split uh, relationship for a bit, and Barnabas and Mark went off in one direction with the gospel, and Paul and Silas went off in another direction. And the reality is, they eventually reconciled. Uh, Mark actually goes on to spend a lot of time with Peter. And he ultimately writes the gospel of Mark. Why I love that his name is in here is because it's a reminder that even though you and I may come against conflict in, re in relationship, we may disagree about something, it doesn't have to get us away from the mission. It doesn't have to lead us out of doing what God wants to do, that when we are being in Jesus, that we can work through that stuff in a way that still brings glory to God. And I love that Mark's in there. Next name we see in there is Jesus or, or Justice. And again, this isn't Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus was a common Jewish name. Actually, so was Justice. So this guy had like two common names. Uh, justice meant righteous. But for whatever reason, they, they say he, who is called Justice, it kind of pulls him out as somebody separate. And we know that Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice were the only Jews working as co-laborers with Paul, which is just an interesting thing uh, to note. But then again, next name we see is Epaphras. And we saw Epaphras mentioned in the early part of Colossians, and we know that he is the likely founder of the church in Colossae, which makes him a first-century church planter, which is just crazy cool. I just love the fact this guy knew that he was sent, and he establishes the church. And he's the one who, who sends information, gets a report to Paul to say, hey, we've got trouble, which prompts this letter from Paul, this book of Colossians. Uh, Epaphras was such a key figure, held the church together in struggle, and that he did it mostly through prayer. He did it mostly on his knees. He was a fervent man of prayer. And I just want to take a moment, to, just on the back end of Ben's teaching last week, to just give an underlying or underpinning statement about the reality of prayer. And it's this, that the greatest movements of God start in the prayers of his people. The greatest movements of God start in the prayers of his people. We have to pray. The movements of God start and build and grow through the prayers that we offer. We have to pray. And if that resonates with you in your heart and you want to hear more about specific prayer opportunities, if you feel like God is calling you to be a prayer warrior like Epaphras 
and, and you're looking for ways to hear how to connect more fully into the broader prayer network that we have here as a church, I want to encourage you to consider coming to a meeting Monday, August 11th, tomorrow night at 6.30 right here at the Rock Island campus. We are being very intentional in expanding the prayer realities of our church family. And if you feel like God is saying, I need you to be part of that, I want you to be part of that, consider coming to that meeting so that we can connect you at each of the campuses to the different prayer realities that are starting to roll out or are in existence already. Because the greatest movements of God start in the prayers of his people. And Epaphras wrestled with prayer, and we're going to do the same. Next name we see here is Luke. Luke was a physician. Uh, doctor. He stayed with Paul to the end. He ultimately wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We see Demas here. He was faithful for a while, then he fell away. We don't know much after that. But then there's Nympha, who served the church. And I love that Paul endorses her influence as a woman in this list of men. See, Jesus calls men and women to serve him. He calls men and women to be in relationship with him and let him define their doing. And there are far too many churches that never reach their full potential because they diminish the role of women. And I am so glad that's not the kind of church we are. That we understand that God calls men and women to himself through his son Jesus to be and then do out of their gifting, out of their uniqueness for his glory. And I love that's the way we think and understand it. The last name we see here is Archippus. Uh, We don't actually know much about Archippus, but Paul's letter to Philemon is also addressed to Archippus. It could be that he was a Roman soldier that joined the church in Colossae, or he may have even been uh, Philemon's son. Either way, Paul gives Archippus some very powerful advice that I think we can all use, those who follow Jesus. He says in verse 17, he says, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Complete it. Be faithful in it. Let your being lead to doing. That, my friends, is great advice. It it may be the most practical advice in, in this particular section of the Bible. Finish the ministry you have received in the Lord. We each have a ministry. You, you have a ministry. You have a particular purpose, God-given purpose, that as you and I, as we go through life, we encounter people and circumstances, and what we do in those moments matters. It matters what we do. And in one way, as we wrap up this whole chain reaction journey, we can think of kind of like Jesus as the ultimate catalyst. See, a catalyst is something that causes or accelerates a chemical reaction. It's uh, something that causes activity between two or more people or forces. It, It precipitates an event or change. And Jesus is the primary catalyst for life and relationship. He's the primary catalyst. And he wants to work in and through us to see infinite chain reactions that ripple into the future for future generations to be able to praise the Lord. The thing is, he's already done his part, and he's waiting for us to do ours. For some of us today, our part is to yield in relationship to him for the very first time, to let him have the throne of our heart and authority in our life. If you've never stepped into relationship with God through Jesus, I want you to know today you can. In the back of the sermon notes guide, there are just some simple steps in a prayer that you can use today to begin to step from spiritual death to spiritual life to let your being lead to doing through Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to prayerfully consider where you're at in that journey. 
If you're somebody who has already made a decision for Jesus and, and, and you believe in who he is and, and you've offered a part of your life to him, but you find yourself struggling in, in cycles of addiction or close but not quite, not living fully in freedom, then I want to encourage you to consider how those may be indicators that you're trying to let your doing lead to being. And you need to have an honest conversation with Jesus where you say, Jesus, I want to be in you and I want to abide in you and I want your power to transform me and define me and ultimately define what I do. Not my circumstances, and not my abilities, and not what I can do, but what you can do. And then I think, you know, there's probably another group here of people who are experiencing growth and, and progress in their journey with the Lord, who are seeing Him uh, give them greater freedom, and you're, and you're kind of thriving in that relationship. If that's you, I think my challenge for you today is to ask you a simple question. Who are you influencing for the glory of God? Who are you influencing for the glory of God? Who would be the names of the people that you would put at the last section of your letter? The people who will carry the truth of Jesus, the reality of being in him, to future generations. Who would be at the end of your letter? See, if you're still here, God has work for you to do. Places to invest. You know, here are some of the places that I believe God has positioned me to invest for his glory. Here, here's an example of three people in my world that I believe God wants me to invest in, to serve, to love, so that there can be a chain reaction for more in their lives. That's my wife, Beth, my son, Joshua, and my son, Daniel. I don't always get it right. In fact, I probably don't, don't get it right as much as I, I probably get it wrong more than I get it right. But the reality is I know he has positioned me to live in relationship to these three people in a way that brings him glory and makes these three people more by serving and loving them. I can also say that the ministry team's on my list the church board, my church family, my friends, and, and my friends who are not yet saved, the people who the Lord has already connected me with here in the Quad Cities. I love interacting with my not yet saved friends because I know what God can do in transforming their lives. Who are you investing in for the glory of God? We're going to talk a bit more about that over the next two weeks as we step into our next series, Live Sent, and, and the global outreach realities around that. But as a church, we seek to live sent. We seek to send people around the world to make a difference for him. One of the, one of the examples of that is John and Patty Bray. For, for 40 plus years and just about three months of a partial sabbatical, they have been on a journey. And they are now in transition to West Michigan to serve on special assignment. John is going to be the interim pastor at First West Church in Battle Creek until a full-time pastor is hired and brought on board. I had a chance to sit with John this week, catch up on their time away and, and the transition, and I gotta say, he's tan. <laughs> and he looks relaxed and refreshed and ready to tackle the next assignment, another opportunity for a different part of the kingdom of God to expand through another chain reaction. And I want to invite you and encourage you to pray for our brother and sister as they make that transition. His first weekend of preaching and, and standing in leadership there will be next weekend. So I ask you to continue to pray for them. <clears throat> Having said that, I want you to understand that it's not just pastors and ministry leaders who are sent. We're all sent. God has purpose for you. He has places he wants you to invest in for his glory. He has specific plans for you. And we'll talk more about that over the next couple weeks. But understanding Paul's commitment to raise up leaders wherever he went, that informs partly who we are as a church. 
incorporating other communicators in a weekend teaching is one way that we're doing that. Hosting a global leadership summit is another way. And that global leadership summit is one way for you to step specifically into being a person of influence and impact. I've already explained that you can still get registered and you can still be involved, but let me show you a quick video that explains a little bit more about why this is important. Check it out. My name's Tony Orsini. I'm the president of Orsini Healthcare. We're a medical equipment and pharmaceutical company. Four years ago, I became a Christian. And up until that point, I'd lived my life pretty much believing that you separated business and personal and they didn't combine. All of that changed as I began to find my faith and to live one congruent life. A few years ago, I was invited to the Leadership Summit. And at that point, I did not believe that it was a summit for me to attend. I thought it was primarily for pastors. And as a businessman, I really didn't see the effect it would have on my life. But as I spent two days listening to some unbelievable individuals explain how they had taken the gifts that God had given them, I was moved in ways I could never have imagined. And at the end of that summit, I made a decision that I was going to bring my ministry into the workplace. A few months after that, I was sitting in church and I heard a particular message that just really resonated with my heart. And I said to myself, I really wish I could get this message to my employees. So I bought the DVD. I remember going home thinking, how am I ever gonna do this? Well, I put some flyers around the building, offered a free lunch. That day, over 75 people showed up. They showed up for the lunch, but they heard the message of Jesus Christ in the middle of the workday. A year and a half ago, I was leading a secular company. All that changed. We started a Christian library. So now we have books and DVDs and CDs. We brought a corporate chaplain into our company who makes rounds for our employees. Lives have been changed. Families have been changed. Individuals have been saved. In the last year and a half, I have never lived more in my entire life than I have as I surrendered to His will and used my gifts for His purpose. I have finally found my calling. This is where I was meant to be, to bring Jesus into the workplace. In the end, the chain reaction journey is about giving all that we are to Him so that He can define who we are and determine what we do for His glory. So we can be all that we're supposed to be and ultimately accomplish what we're created to do in the first place. But it's a choice we each have to make in the journey of where we're going to invest and what we're going to do. We each have a choice of how we're going to step in relationship to Him doing leading to being or being leading to doing. We have a choice of whether we're going to be a catalyst alongside the great catalyst, Jesus Christ, and see future generations changed, or, or whether we're going to live a lesser life, striving to be by what we do. We have a choice. And as we step into a time of prayer at the close of this gathering, and if you find yourself spiritually unresolved, the challenge is to step into relationship with Jesus and allow Him to define who you are. If you're someone who has already stepped in relationship but you're not living in freedom, now it's time to have that honest conversation where you let him 
Determine who you are and let your being lead to doing by his power at work in you and truly be free. And if you're someone who's living in that fairly consistently, the challenge would be, who are you going to invest in for his glory? Who will be the name or the names at the end of your letter? As we pray and sing and wrap up our time together, we have an opportunity to give him all that we are, giving all that we are to all that he is, ultimately, so then letting him determine what we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your willingness to pursue us. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for Tychicus. God, I thank you for Paphras. It was through them that you have affected us, a future generation. You used Paul and you used the others to teach us more about you. Thank you for that. I pray that we would remember the lessons you've taught us along the way. I pray that we wouldn't quickly forget and walk away as if nothing was transformed in us, but that we would sit in your presence, we'd allow you to speak, and we'd allow you to reshape and define who we are so that we can do what you've created us to do. Not for our glory, not for our success or for our gain, but for your glory, Lord. For your glory. You are the one who deserves all honor, glory, and praise, not us. So may you be able to do what all that you want to do in and through us as we submit to you. I love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.